You're listening to Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Join the conversation on our Facebook page or on Twitter. And be sure to like and follow us for more great Catholic content. Now, back to the show. Good morning once again. Father Mike Malloy here with Karen Gibis in Rapid City, South Dakota. We're at Dunn Brothers Coffee. And we are in the, in the middle of, a, I think, what's going to be a wonderful show. I think so. next couple hours. We've had a, we had a great beginning guest. And... Uh, and we just had a nice prayer segment, and so we're ready to to uh, um, move into the rest of the show. Um, one of the things that we were just talking about when we had a little chance on the, on the break um, is the O antiphons. And you know, it's interesting. When I was a kid growing up in the Catholic Church, I had no idea what that was. But I do remember we always used to sing every Advent. We always knew Advent was coming because we would always hear O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. It was you know one of the songs that is like a hallmark of right. the Advent season. It's right. like it really isn't Advent until you get to hear O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And I realized later on when I we went to seminary that that is a combination of what we call the O antiphons. And uh, the O antiphons are a seri- an antiphon is something that is is prayed just before you pray a psalm during the liturgy of the hours. And beginning on December seventeenth through the 23rd, um, every one of those antiphons begins with, you know, the, the word O, mm-hmm. like O, we, we say like O Lord or whatever. Right. So there's various titles, if you will, of Jesus that are used, um, that are the antiphons from the December 17th through the 23rd. O Wisdom, O Lord, O Root of Jesse, O Key of David, O Dayspring, O King of the Nations, and O Emmanuel or O God with us. Um, and so those were combined at some point, I don't know exactly when, into the song that we we know of as O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Um, it's where the, the I didn't origin. didn't know that. Yeah, it's where the origin of that song came from, you know. If you um, like um, rejoice, rejoice, O Israel, you shall come, Emmanuel. Thank you. Appreciate it. We just got, Father just got treated. I just to. got tea for talking about the antiphons, I guess. <laughs> yeah. That's somebody really nice. A secret Santa for you. <laughs> anyway, so um, I just thought it would be interesting for people to hear that because we talk about that all the time. Yeah. Oh, and, and they're not something you'd necessarily hear at Mass, but they are part of the liturgy, the hours that we do, um, the priests and, and religious do, and lay people can as well. Right. So. Well, I think that's very beautiful. I mean, even just the background behind how that is combined into the song. I mean, I think it'll make the, the song just feel a little bit more important and touch a few yeah. more hearts knowing that it's part of that prayer. Right. And, it's, and it really is, we're really ba- basically just giving praise to God for the gift of his son, who is wisdom, who is Lord, who, who is, is the key of D- David, yeah. etc. You know, so it's like, it's like reflecting on who Jesus right. is and yeah. the one that we're waiting for to come. So We um, we have a Jesse tree we do. We didn't do it this year, but we have a Jesse tree we do, and I have ornaments that have for each of those oantophons, yes. and we yeah. pray that that day. When I retire, I'm going to make ornaments for a Jesse tree. Beautiful. That's going to be one of my projects when I retire. I have them in my head. Oh, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> that sound means we're ready for straight talk. And you are invited to uh, bring your questions, um, your comments, whatever it is, uh, to bring those, uh, uh, call in to the radio or or, uh, use the Facebook page. The call-in number is 877-795-0122, 877-795-0122. 
877-795-0122, or Karen, tell them how they can do that on Facebook. So you just um, get on Facebook and search for the Real Presence Radio page and look for Father's wonderful picture. Um, you know, don't look for hair, but yeah. look for Father. Um, and then you can type your question in there and Brandon will put it on for us to read and Father will answer your question with all the wisdom that he has. <laughs> well, with a hopefully a lot of gifts of the Holy well, Spirit. Right. <laughs> Infused wisdom. Infused wisdom. There you go. So, How's that? Um, so, any, anything you want to talk about? And it's. I mean, this is a. There's a lot going on in our world today, and there's a lot going on in the church. In the church, exactly. And, and so, uh, yeah, it, feel free. I think a lot of times people do have questions, and and they don't know where to direct those. Right. Or, or they're maybe listening, and they're just going like, "Oh, I've often wondered about that." It's a great opportunity to do that. And. With the two options you have, you can either talk on the radio and ask the question, or you yeah. can just leave the question and then we answer it. So, whatever is um, so, uh, Karen, you said you had a question we could yeah. start with. Yes, that would be great. So I was thinking, here comes the new year, and everyone has these New Year's resolutions, and you know, hey, we're gonna. And I remember as a kid, mine is I'm gonna brush my teeth every day. I think that <laughs> lasted till like January fourth when I decided I was, you know, whatever. Yeah, it's exactly. overrated. Yeah, for one day. Um, so I got to thinking, well, maybe a good way to start a new year is to get some spiritual direction. Okay. But I have never had any spiritual direction. I don't even know what that looks like. What that means? Yeah. Okay. And so I thought maybe if you could speak to, you know, what is a typical spiritual direction? What's its purpose? What would someone gain from that? Why is that important? Okay. Um, and you know, and, and there's a there's a whole field in the Catholic Church of people who are trained to be spiritual directors. Because like anything else, it takes some some uh, commitment and and some time. But basically, what when you have a spiritual director, what you're doing is you sit down with that person and you share with them, you know, your prayer life and how you understand or hear God leading and guiding you. In, in your everyday life, in the experiences and choices you're making. And that person, you know, because of their, hopefully their own prayer life and their own connection with the Lord, and, and for those who are, are, have the uh, training in, in the various ways you can get that, then they can listen and feed back to you, this is what I hear, or ask you the kinds of questions that will enable you to go deeper in your reflection or come to a better understanding of how, how exactly this God is leading and guiding you in your life. And so it's, it's, and it's not, you know, it's not like counseling. Counseling is where, you know, I've got emotional, psychological right. issues or concerns or something I want to talk about, trying to, trying to figure something out or trying to grow or change the direction of my life. You know, this is about your relationship to God your spiritual life and and how that's moving and, and directing and and it's a beautiful experience especially if you can find a good spiritual director um, who will um, not tell you what to do but basically feed back to you saying this is what I hear um, or, okay or ask you the questions that will push you to a deeper reflection like okay. what do you think um, what is that experience that you just described to me how is that where do you think God is speaking to you through that, or what do you think God's telling you that? So it's it's leading and guiding you in a in a direction, right? That enables you to come into a fuller and more complete relationship with the Lord. So would you recommend a spiritual director being um, maybe your regular confessor, or would you recommend? I know like the sisters out at St. Martin's, they do 
some of them do spiritual direction, but how do you even find a spiritual director? Uh, I, you know, I, I think that's, that is a challenge. And one of the real challenges is finding, is finding people who are, have some training and background. And, you know, and I think I would say that a lot of priests, by virtue of experienced years, you know, have um, some background in this. And, and we have to say, hopefully, they have their own prayer life and their own relationship right. with the Lord. And you're right. You mentioned the sisters at St. Martin's. I know Sister Margaret Hinker um, ha- does spiritual direction. Um, and so, so there are, and, and then there are those who are, like I said, who are trained. Lay people can be trained to be spiritual directors. The challenge is finding someone um, who can do that because there are a lot more people that yeah. probably benefit from spiritual direction than there are people who are able to do it. Even here in the Diocese of Rapid City, we have um, people go through the VSI program, people go through lay ministry formation, people are in diaconate formation, and they're all told you have to have a spiritual director. Well, when you take 100, 150 people... That's a lot. ...and say, now go find a spiritual director, and, you know, there's a limited amount of time that any one person has, that becomes a real challenge. Yeah. Um, but I think it's a trial and error thing, and I think yeah. you have to you have to start a. If someone agrees to say, "Yeah, let's let's sit down and look at this," I think you you do a few sessions and you decide as a person being directed and as a director, is this going to be a good fit? Um, and and both people have to be free to say, "No, I don't think so." Okay. And thanks for your help and thanks for whatever you've given me up to this point. Yeah, but, but I don't I don't think this is going to work for yeah. me. Yeah. So that that's kind of what. Okay. Okay. Well, we have a question from right. Sarah on Facebook. Um, she says, I know it was re- recently mentioned on Real Presence Radio, but could you speak to why we bless salt and how would one use it? Okay, Sarah, this is, um, boy, this is going to take me back. We have to figure this one out or think about it. So, um, <clears throat> first of all, I think generally you have to understand you can, anything can be blessed. W- what that means generally is <clears throat> an, an object or a person or you know some of the created order is we 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 basically declare that that object that thing um is tied to god in a special way that there is a connection there and that the use of the if we're talking about something like salt or water that the use of that is designed or meant to <clears throat> draw us into that deeper relationship with god help us to express our faith and what we believe um, in in some sort of way, and so one of the things that was used um, in the Old Testament is salt. And now I'm drawing a blank on why we used salt. Um, it's in I can I can hear the prophet. It's a, one of the prophets who spoke about it, and it's coming not coming to me right now. But um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but in terms of I, I know how you use blessed salt. Blessed salt. You know, once you once you bless salt, you say okay this this substance that God has given us is meant to be, um, uh, you know, a substance I'm going to use to remind me of my relationship with God. Salt is oftentimes used by way of of protection um, or or a a defense against evil. And so once you bless the salt, then you, basically you would sprinkle it. You know, like like one of the things that I know that they do when when they're praying for um, like, for example, a, a structure that, that they think maybe has been infested with some kind of demonic activity or presence, you can sprinkle blessed salt around the, the, the building. The outside of it, the as perimeter? A, as, a, as a protection. And this isn't, you know, it's very important to say this isn't magic. Right. You know, this is about faith. It's about me believing that this substance which we have asked God's blessing for does in fact become blessed. And then it becomes 
you know, it becomes a, a, a means for us it's to... It's a tool, like holy water. Yeah, they're good. A good way to say it is, is a tool. And your holy water is another example. Uh, oftentimes, uh, salt can also be put into holy water. Right. You know, you bless the salt and put it into the holy water so that those two symbols t- together are, are, yeah. um, are can, used. Can you bake with it? Um, you know, I don't... My my sense would be no. Okay. I mean, it's um, you know, it's have a holy cake, you know. <laughs> yeah, have a holy cake. Yeah. Well, any more than I think we'd say if you're gonna you know use water to bake with somehow the water you know. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think it's it's not that kind of a sen- uh, sense of it. It's it's more the sense of using that object as a reminder of yeah. the presence and the power of God in our lives, and the blessing that He seeks to bestow upon us. So. Okay. That's that as good great. as I Thank can you, do right Sarah, now, Sarah. Question. Yeah, appreciate it. Sorry, I couldn't give you the more. I, there's a scriptural reference, and I'm just drawing a blank on it. So, <laughs> well, that's Father's limitations in the wisdom aspect. Yes, that's right. So, if you need to uh, have a question for Father, um, he's more than willing to answer any of your questions or discuss anything with you. If you want to call in at eight seven 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 nine five zero one two two. He is uh, super great about just listening, too. I know Father is a great listener, so if you just want to call in with a concern, he will listen. That would be great. He will listen and give his comments on it. Yep. So um, we do have a question about um, how does, this is from a listener not on the phone. Okay. How does the diaconate relate to the priesthood? Yeah, that's a that's a wonderful question. Um, I I love that, and and I have a great respect for for the deacons of the church. and so in the in the church in the very early days of the church um you know Jesus established the apostles as his um uh followers and and we say that the apostles were the forerunners of who became the bishops in the church and then the bishops when when the responsibility that they were given became overwhelming um they chose elders or leaders to help them and the greek word word was used was presbyter presbyteros to mean priests and so that's where the priest came from and then in the in the book of of uh, uh, acts of the apostles um, there was also a concern about the widows not being taken care of and and so <clears throat> the holy spirit directed the early church to choose men to to be attentive to the needs of the widows and those are what eventually became the deacons and so when we think about deacons we say deacons are ordained they share in the in the priesthood of Jesus Christ, the ordained priesthood of Jesus Christ, um, and they and they are kind of directly related, if you will, to a bishop. Um, and so the bishop chooses men, calls them to the diaconate, and they have a very specific ministry in the church. Um, and a lot of times you see deacons at the altar, serving at the altar. Mm-hmm. They proclaim the gospel, um, and they participate in mass in in a role as, as a deacon, um, but. I think the real heart of the diaconate is a heart of service. And so they become uh, an extension, if you will, of the bishop. And then, of course, the bishop assigns deacons to parishes. And so they basically become a a co-worker with the priest in a parish. And, you know, the priest has his duties and responsibilities. The deacon has his. And a lot of times the, the practical reality of how they relate together depends on the relationship that that deacon has with the priest in terms of what the priest asks him to do and, and what, the, what the deacon is able and willing to do. <clears throat> oftentimes deacons are married men. They don't have to be, but they are oftentimes. And oftentimes in the Catholic Church, they have other jobs if they're younger and they're still supporting their families. And so the kind of ministry they do is, is not just connected to the church and what they do for the church, the parish, but it also can be connected to their life 
as a married man in their own family, as a married man working in, in the world. And there's a lot of great ministry that deacons do, a lot of great service that deacons do, because they sort of live in the two worlds. They live in the world of the ordained clergy. Right. They have a perspective that is they, unique very, to them. A very unique perspective that's to them. And people oftentimes might approach them and ask them, they have questions, concerns, problems, because they rub shoulders with them. They know they, know they have kids. They work in the world different than priests. And so people will oftentimes approach them for help and guidance, and then the, the deacon can be the interface between the people sometimes and the priest and help them on that journey. But their, their, role is, their real role in the church is a role of service and, and as a, an extension of the bishop and his responsibility to serve his people in their diocese. So that's, that's very interesting. So would you say that the priesthood is more a role of sacrifice, whereas the deacon are, is of service? Yeah, and I th- those words are obviously interchangeable because a priest, obviously, in sacrificing is being of service too. But uh, you know, uh, you know, we always, I mean, as a, a seminarian growing up and learning about the priesthood, they said, you know, there's two things that a priest does that people can't do for themselves. One is to say mass, and the other one's hear confessions. Yeah. And so a, a priest uh, is is conformed to Christ, and he's conformed to Christ in his sacrifice, in his leadership of the church and his willingness to sacrifice himself for the sake of the people of God, for the sake of the parish community. It's so beautiful. Yeah. And so the priest really has that that, um, cultic role, if you will, um, to to explain that, you know, that he is the one who stands in the the presence of Christ, leading his community, you know, um, leading into that sacrifice that joins us um, with Christ to God the Father. And also, obviously, forgiving sins that brings us back into that union when we separate ourselves. Yeah. And then what flows out of that is, of course, a lot of other kinds of things. Right, right. But, but, you know, a lot of times priests get involved in a lot of ministries that really lay people can do. You know, administration and um, some of the, you know, it's, it's a priest is not meant to be the be-all and end-all of a parish. Mm-hmm. He's meant to be Christ-present, leading the community and inviting the community into that sacrificial kind of love. And the deacon is one of the people who's called into that relationship um, and his is that specific role of service, reaching out, especially the people who are um, poor, underprivileged, marginalized, right? those kind of things. So, the ones who we truly need to reach out to. Yeah, very much so. So it's a good, great question. I appreciate that. Um, okay, the, let's make it, um, well, let's give the number again. 877-795-0122 if you want to call in and, and um, talk to Father. Um, you can, you know, ask me a question and I will give you a blank stare. You won't be able to see it, but, <laughs> um, but that, you know, hey, anything's a possibility at this time. But let's just, let's be a little funny. Um, my little girls want to know, basically, what is your favorite Christmas song? Because I know you're big into music. Yes, I am. <clears throat> and, you know, now, this is a Catholic radio program. <laughs> But my absolute favorite Christmas song is I Saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus. <laughs> and the reason for that is I, as a kid growing up, my mother said that was her favorite Christmas Aww. song. And so I listened to it. And what I love about it, you know, I've, I've listened to it you know, from time to time. But what I love about it is the innocence of a child. You know, uh, I can I can imagine a child seeing this and in, in innocence of a child yeah. um, talking about I saw mommy kissing Santa Claus. You know, Aww. and so I I've always and, and loved loved that song and I, I think it's um, it, it's just uh, it, I think it captures the the beauty and the heart of of maybe 
Christmas and my memories of growing up with Christmas and everything that that's, that's involved with that. So Yeah, that's um, great. So well, I'll have to remember that. We're, we're big into Christmas music right now. I mean, though we're the kind of family that listens to Christmas songs in June and July mm. because we just love yeah. Christmas songs. Yeah. Someone asked me once, what is your favorite hymn, like church hymn? Yeah. And I thought, wow, that's that's a hard one because I I, I mean I I love Joy to the World. I like Silent Night. Um, I like uh, um, I'm, all the Christmas songs that we do at Mass. I mean, I kind of uh, I'm anxious when we start yeah um, singing Christmas and singing all those songs. So, but yeah. that's what I would suggest. So, well, now we have um, another question, um, a listener question and not uh, again not on the phone so if someone wants to call in the phone lines are wide open 877-795-0122 can you recommend a good book on the is it Arian Arian controversy controversy? maybe can you explain the Arian controversy (laughs) and then recommend a good book I can explain the Arian controversy I cannot recommend a good book okay well I'm I'm drawing a blank on on that but um, in the early church in the um, the three four hundreds if my memory serves me right there was a priest named Arius who uh, developed a, a teaching or belief about Jesus, which the church said, no, that's not right. That's wrong. That's a heresy. And um, the interesting thing about the Arian heresy is it really divided the Roman, the, the Roman Empire, um, because there were there were priests and bishops who accepted Arius's understanding of who Jesus was, and then there were priests and bishops who said, no, that's not orthodox. That's not what we teach. That's not what we believe. And so there was a, a split. And they actually, the Council of Nicaea which Constantine, Emperor Constantine himself called, was called to resolve this issue. And, of course, we wanted to resolve the the theology part of it so we had a true and accurate understanding of who Jesus was, that he was truly God and truly man. Um, And the Nicene Creed that we we, um, use at Mass grew out of the Council of Nicaea. And and the, the phrases that we use, that Jesus is consubstantial with the Father, um, God from God, light from light, true God from true God. All of those phrases were ways that they were trying to reinforce the um, the truth of what we believe about about God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, um, and to um, combat the Arian heresy. You know, probably more cynical historians would also say that Constantine was having some problems politically and certainly economically over this split which was dividing the, the Roman Empire and so he wanted to resolve that to bring the empire back together and to get him back on a solid footing um, so that was probably part of what motivated him to call the council but um, that's where the Arian Harris what it, what it was about where it came from um, you know and, and so maybe a book on the council uh, certainly a book on the Council of Nicaea would be good uh, I think the the church fathers yeah because um, there were some great um, church fathers that was who, like St. Nicholas at the time Nicholas was one of them um, uh, Athanasius was right. another one that were were, were guys that um, were, were leaders in the church who took on this problem and this challenge I think any but any a good book on the Nicaean Council of Nicaea mm-hmm. um, and I, I'm guessing if you would Google Arian heresy mm-hmm. you get a basic you know understanding of what that is and then you know recommend some good books and i'm sure another resource would be catholic answers i was just going to say we should you know check out catholic Go answers. To catholic answers and get on and say arian heresy and it come up because yeah. i know they've been uh, there have been very good 
books written on, on the, these subjects right. and, and a great understanding well, our of call, I'll call in later to Catholic Answers Live. <laughs> there you go. Call <laughs> later. So I'm sorry I can't answer the give you a specific recommendation for a book. Um, it was one of the things we studied back in my days in the seminary, but that's been a long time ago. So Yeah, well, so. you know, that, that happens. Um, we still have time if you want to call in at 877-795-0122 or get on Facebook and uh, leave, leave your question. question there. Um, there's The sky's the limit. Yeah, and the sky's the limit, absolutely. So we were talking earlier about... Um, Christmas, and I was mentioning the whole family thing and Christmas presents and things like that. And you know, and as I, as we reflected, I thought, well, I also need to go back and say a very important part of Christmas for us growing up was going to mass. Um, and it seems to me, as a child growing up, we went to midnight mass. You know, when mass was, we, we yeah. did celebrate mass at midnight, um, which is it's an, there's an interesting history of why mass is celebrated at midnight in the church, um, but. Uh, um, you know, that was a very important thing, too, and, you know, to get all dressed up and off we went to church. And it was always hard because we, had, we opened our presents on Christmas Eve, and then we had to, you know, put everything aside and get ready to go to church. But, you know, it was never a force or an issue. It was part of what we, who we are and part of what we did, and it was a, a great addition to, uh, um, to our... Uh, so, speaking of Mass at midnight, as far as the liturgy goes, is there any rules about how soon a Mass can be started? Because I know there's some midnight Mass is not at actual midnight, so that the consecration happens at midnight. Well, is there, like, rules that govern that? Yeah, well, what's interesting, if you look at the Roman Missal, it does not say midnight Mass. It says Mass at night. Okay. Yeah, midnight. What, what happened in the, in, the, in, the, in the history of the Church when there was not, uh, when we didn't do a vigil Mass, you know, because right. you know, the, the whole notion of a vigil comes out of the Jewish... Um, a background, the Jewish history of, um, you know, you begin celebrating a feast day at sundown the day before, mm-hmm. and you celebrate it through, through the day, through the de- next day. And so, um, but in the, in the history of the church, eventually they stopped having vigil masses. They only, they only celebrated mass on the day. And so when it came to Christmas, you know, obviously the, the, the biblical images of the, the star, right. Um, at nighttime would suggest we have to celebrate. Jesus was born at night, mm-hmm. um, and so in order for the star to be there and people to be able to see it, and so the earliest that you could celebrate Mass at night on Christmas Day was midnight. Ah, oh, okay. That's the origin of, of, of where it came from. Where midnight Mass was mass celebrated at midnight Mass on midnight. Now and, we have the vigil. N- now we have Mass at night, which means basically. Any time after four o'clock is what the church has given us as a as a discipline, and there are parishes that now do mass. They'll do mass at night at um, seven, eight, ten, whatever it works. Um, and, and I think, keeping with the tradition, you want to do it at night. You want to do it when it's dark, you know. Yeah. But it doesn't necessarily have to be at midnight. Now that's a, a long-standing custom in many many places, and many people still do that. Yeah. And that's and that's fine. And um, you know it's. Um, but it's, it can be some of the time, and it's really not a right or wrong. Right. I didn't know if there was a rule about no, not at governing all. Not at all. when you And then there's also a Mass at dawn. Right. And then there's Mass during the day. So there's three different Christmas Masses right. that, are, that are celebrated. Um, in, so the Vigil Mass. And I believe there's also a Vigil, too. But I'd have to check on that. I'm not sure. Yeah, okay. I was just going to say, and then there would be a Vigil Mass. So you would have. Yeah. Uh, but I think it's just the Mass at night. 
mass at dawn and mass during the day. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. A listener wrote in and says that Arius was the bishop who got punched in the face by St. Nicholas. That is the legend, yes. Yeah. Um, That's a pretty St. Nicholas. He's pretty (laughs) fiery. Jolly old St. Nicholas. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, by the way, where we get obviously we get our understanding of Santa Claus is from Saint Nicholas, yeah. um, because he was uh, uh, he was a, a very generous saint, right? And, that, and there's good historical evidence about generous Nicholas. with his generous with, with his, his fists, yeah, yeah, his fists. Well, you know, the, and it, I don't think we, uh, you know, I think sometimes we look at our church right now and, and people get concerned because we have issues, concerns, there's struggles, there's, yeah. you know, uh, fighting, if you will. And I'm thinking, you know, this is not new to the This church. is not new. I know. The struggle, the, not new. the struggle is not new. The struggle is not new because, we're, you know, we're talking about, we're talking about our faith. We're talking about our, our belief in, 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 in God and His Son, Jesus. We're ultimately talking about eternal life. And that raises people's passions and concerns. And people are Passionate. They can and, be very passionate about right. these things, and so, it, so it, it's and the, the the important thing I I want to say over and over again, and the, the longer I'm the diocesan administrator, is like we need to stop fighting. We need to start talking. Right. We need to sit down and say, what do you think, and what do you think, and what do you believe? Well, so we need to listen. And then yes, and what's the truth? Let yeah. the truth rise. Yep. You know, not personal opinion, the truth. But yeah, and not it's so it's, that's so important and and I think it's so easy for us to throw punches. Yeah. And because part of it is we're concerned, we're fearful, we care. Yep. I mean, so I get all that, but at the same token it's like, you know, it doesn't do us any good. No. Um, to, to sit in anger and accuse and blame. And it's not what Jesus would do. No. Well, I don't, I mean, all the times he was attacked and accused by yep. people, he would respond with questions. He would invite them into a deeper reflection. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think of when he was in, in his own trial and he answers the high priest and he gets slapped and he just looks at him and says, if I've said something wrong, you know, then point it out. But if I speak the truth, why do you hit me? Yeah. And I think sometimes we just need to look at people and say, but explain to me how this isn't the truth or explain to me how you see this so we can have a discussion instead of, you know, right. uh, an accusation and, and fighting. So Exactly. I, I think um, it's very important. So This morning, when, um, my son Rex, mm-hmm. as I was walking out the door, Mom, Mom, goodbye, goodbye. Mom, I have a question for Father. I'm like, okay. He got up to give, because we left pretty early, so he got up early to give questions. So this isn't Christmas theme related, obviously, but he wanted to know, how long did Simon Simon of Serene carry the cross? Is Mm. there, like, any kind of traditional thought on how long? Because we have the stations of the cross, and he carries it, but when you get to the top, was it to the top of Mount Calvary? Was it... Um, That's a wonderful question, you know, and it's one of those questions that the Bible doesn't answer for us. Mm we don't um, we don't have uh, any awareness of we just know in the scriptures it says that they enlisted this man yeah and you know um, the father of Alexander and Rufus so that, we get yeah we your get song these, that song on your the life yes. of Father Malloy presentation yeah. Yeah. We get these we get these little snippets and and we're left. I mean, so Rex is asking, well, how long did he carry? It? We don't know. Um, you could have carried it for a little bit. The, the sense is that that he that Simon they they enlisted or they made Simon do this because Jesus was not. Um, he was collapsing under the under the the not only the weight of the cross but also the torture and, and the right. abuse they had gone through. And I, and there was a probably a concern that if we don't 
that we want to keep him alive. We want to inflict the most pain possible, so right. let's keep him alive. Let's keep him alive till we get to the crucifixion. And so you grab this guy and say, you help him carry the cross. But we don't have any idea how long, um, whether it was clear up to the hill, top of the hill. And actually, the when we say that Calvary Hill, Calvary Hill isn't isn't quite the mound that I don't. I think a lot of people think it is. It was more like a, um, a, 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 a they call it the skull. It was more like a rock that s- stood out of the ground, you know, that kind of looked like the top of a, a head. A head. And so that's, you know, and, and it obviously you could... You could um, Fit a cross. Um, into a hole. You could yeah. create a hole and you could stick a cross and it would balance it because the cross was a lot... The, yeah. the stone would have been heavy enough to, to keep hold it, it from tipping. Yep. Yeah. So, so anyway. Okay. Well, that's interesting. Thanks for that question, Rex, if you're listening. I appreciate I think, that. And if you are re- listening, Rex, did you guys do chores this morning? That's yeah. the biggest question I have. And brush your teeth. <laughs> and brush your teeth. Somebody better have done the dishes. <laughs> well, it's tough. Your mom's everywhere, you know? <laughs> That's right. I'm even on the radio, guys. You can't get away from your chores. I'm yeah, on the radio. for sure. Uh, well, thank you all of those who wrote in with your questions. Um, just a reminder that this segment is on at 930 Central Time every Monday through Friday. Up next, we have Cynthia Zook, who will share her experiences of being a convert to the Catholic faith and working for the Catholic schools. We'll be back um, with the 10-minute tour. Uh, as soon as our f- we come back from the break, this is Karen Gibis with... Father Mike Malloy. We'll talk to you soon. on the other side of the break. Yep.